0: Mm-hmm. In this episode, I sit down with a student who is studying neuropsychology in hopes of pursuing a career in finding alternative methods of medicine and research. She originates from Northern California, bringing a unique perspective on prevalent issues we face today. We discuss her life in Northern California, neuropsychology, life as a woman, cancel culture, and much more. I hope through this conversation you are able to take something of value. As college students, we are navigating through life on the pursuit to understand the world around us. We might touch on uncomfortable topics that might be difficult to listen to for some. As it is a live recording of a conversation we had, please keep in mind that our thoughts are spontaneous and the means behind them are never intended to be hurtful to anyone. Through this discussion and this podcast as a whole, my goal is to facilitate a space for understanding where I could sit down with different people from different backgrounds to bring us closer together. Enjoy the episode. I think it'd be interesting to start off with uh, your current situation, like what your pursuits are now, which is uh, neuropsychology, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. So so my, my main sort of passion at the moment is just trying to pursue um, cures in the mental health field rather than like symptom suppressants, especially when it comes to like pharmacology, treatment, um, things like that, cognitive behavioral therapy. I think that we're still just very limited. So I kind of am interested in doing research as far as um, those sorts of things go.
0: And when you say you're trying, you're trying to find alternative ways, in what ways do you mean besides like... Um prescription drugs because i i wouldn't say that like i'm a supporter in that but you know uh, i'm well i'm not but um basically you're saying that there are other alternatives correct that
1: yeah i mean and we're working on it i think just in in the field in general the thing is is there's nothing i would say that's particularly wrong with with prescription drugs and for a lot of people that is the the best option that's available right now there's research into um it's how do we how do we use the brain to manipulate behaviors? Specifically if you consider something like an example like PTSD. You have an event that that is a trigger and you consequentially develop these neural pathways that activate certain areas of the brain. And if we can we can rewire you in a way, people like to use that word rewire, to the point where if you have a trigger that your amygdala which is your fear center doesn't activate but rather a more pensive factor will activate so and and you can do that by expanding the number of ways that you choose to look at a specific subject and that's not to say that you have control entirely but that's why there's experimentation with uh psychedelic drugs with uh forms of treatment that expand that that connect areas of the brain that don't normally connect because we fire, we fuse these different pathways that's what habits are that's what routine is is that i wake up and my cortisol levels are high so i immediately reach for my phone it's a comfort thing but if i were to if i were to determine a different habit then i would fuse a different pathway and that's the same idea with even more complicated things like ptsd you hear a loud noise, your brain it it knows what to do and it does it. You if you think that you are consciously making decisions, I would say the reach the research shows shows that your brain triggers activation eight seconds before you make before you consciously register that you made a decision. So we don't really know what exactly we are thinking and what our pursuits are. So in that same vein I think it could be really helpful in terms of mental health to start with the brain. So that's what I'm interested in researching.
0: And would that be forms of therapy or like as you said experimenting with uh psychoactive drugs?
1: Yeah, I think yes, it, it has to be a combination in my opinion because you can't neglect the emotional aspects of any condition. I can't boil down PTSD to just neural pathways. So the the best Research that we've that people in the field have found about psychedelics, for example, and obviously there's way more than that, but that's a fun example. um, Is that um, the idea of combining those things with a therapeutic session? So you're not just saying, "Oh, you just just microdose shrooms for a while and let's see what happens." It's about somebody directing you to think about something potentially uncomfortable. When you're in that scenario and obviously microdosing that's a whole different can of worms as well and really interesting but if we're talking about a really intense uh, psychedelic experience you need somebody to guide you so that you don't get lost in in fantasy and, and to even take you to those uncomfortable places because those are the places in which you need to expand you need to direct your thoughts in a different manner. And have a different relationship with those triggers, those thoughts, etc.
0: And what inspired you to pursue this goal of yours?
1: Um, in some ways, because I'm just a little fucked up. <laughs> like, because people always joke that like people that go into psychology are all like fucked up themselves. And um I think that's part of it. But also my father. My father is a is a psychologist. He's retired now, but he um, is a psychologist and he does Ayurvedic medicine, so so um, alternative uh, medicine more influenced by the East, Chinese medicine, Indian medicine. And so he he has always taken interest in that and I've always looked up to him. And so I used to say that when I was when I was like four years old, I was like, I want to be a psychologist like Dad. And I want to go to UC Santa Cruz like dad. I didn't end up going to UC Santa Cruz. However, uh, I am looking to be a psychologist, I think.
0: so. Psychologist? <laughs>
1: yeah. That's what I said when I was four. Uh, psychologist.
0: I, 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 like, I was like, oh, I think she's like saying it as just how she would say it when she was four. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, huh. You're like, wait, is that what it is? Psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> and so what does your dad do with that? He's a psychologist. Psychologist. <laughs> psychologist. <laughs> He's a psychologist. And, um, what kind of uh things does he do with that
1: um he does use i'll say he uses alternative practices so yeah and and he's he's really interested in just body-mind connection and and energy and it's so funny it feels like such a it used to be such a hippie thing to say, oh, you have an energy and your body has an energy and your body has a natural state of flow or whatever. Now it's so much more accepted. But back in his time, people would look at it. I mean, he had a ponytail, but he didn't have very much hair. Like he was that guy, you know. <laughs> and, and so people would look at somebody like him and think that it was more radical. But and And even when I was a little girl, like... His idea I could tell that he saw things a little differently than most people did. He's like the least neurotic person I know he's he's like he's different. I mean, just the way he he raised me and my sister was different, and I think that's why like I looked up to him so much was because he just he allowed me to look at the world from a position of. Comfort with the natural state of the world and not through fear. So I think I was able to like develop this relationship with psychology because of my relationship with my dad.
0: And would you say that in the current state of things, people are kind of disconnected with the natural world?
1: I couldn't get on my high horse and say, like, oh, you know. People are just on their phones too much it's it's just from like the neural the the neurological perspective it is the most tempting thing that we have access to like by far I mean it's like our phones are so incredibly they're filled with these these dopamine potentials everywhere and so it's like I would say that that's one of the things that we feel disconnected with. But also just like I think people have grown less and less likely. They have l- less propensity to trust their own intuition about things. You're told what to feel and how to feel it and when to feel it a lot, especially in media. You're supposed to feel this about this. And people get really confused, I think, about how they, how they actually Feel. And I think that I would say the number one problem with youth and, r- and right now, like just, I, I think it's impacted by so many factors, but I would say my main focus when I pursue research is going to be anxiety, fear. Um, and that's why I say like my dad raised me in a way with as little neuroticism as possible with this acceptance and this openness towards things. But I think we're constantly being placed in a state of comparison instead of a state of observation and i think that's one of the main things i would say the media pushes through that is really uncomfortable for me to witness because i just know how much it wreaks havoc on people and their lives and and their contentment and their ability to accept things as they are rather than place judgment cuz judgment often comes from a place of comparison in in my opinion is that's that's why we choose to make a judgment upon somebody
0: so you are from uh northern california correct
1: <laughs> indeed i am
0: how's that i as i've been in northern california california like one time uh but growing up there i'm assuming it's completely different than just visiting <laughs> for a few weeks
1: yeah i mean th- there's some weird shit that that comes up when you're when you're from the bay i i grew up i had a i had an interesting family life. So I I grew up the first, I would say, I guess 14 years of my life I lived in Oakland, but for part of that time as well, I lived with my mother in in Marin. So I my my father lived in Oakland for 14 years and my mother lived in Marin. I think since I was probably maybe 8. So I I had that interesting back and forth cuz I won't get too much into that because people don't fucking know, but Marin and Oakland are very different places. Marin is, even though the, the area I went to middle school, actually, we had some ridiculous shit in middle school, um, but Marin was a lot wealthier overall than Oakland was. So it was interesting. There was a, there was like a cultural shift there, but growing up in the Bay was really cool. Like being able to be exposed to the culture of the bay it's a very unique culture uh, which i think is cool to to see within the same state or within like people connect based off of being from the bay area as if it has its own little subculture of california which is cool i like it
0: so you are one of the most interesting people i know just because of the mere fact that things don't affect you the same way that others uh, others may be affected by the same thing. So you find humor in a lot of things that maybe others wouldn't find humorous. Can you explain why you are able to take um, things and kind of humorize them and lighten the mood of what may be difficult for other people to uh, take in?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I, I grapple with that as... I, I enjoy hearing it put in a positive light. I think I grapple with it because so much of how I feel about the world is I, I I think that I have a very much um I try to have an observer's perspective. And when you observe the behavior of people in general, it's like everything is sort of funny and ridiculous. And especially like when I when we, we were just talking about being in the natural state of the world versus being in this sort of artificial manufactured state of the world. And I think you, when you observe people in a manufactured setting, it's, it's really funny. Like they're little rituals we do, but in a broader context than that though, I, I, I just think that there is absolutely very, very little in this world, if not nothing, that is 100% not funny. I think that everything has some some sense of humor in it. Whether you're making fun of what it is overall, whether you're making fun of how we react to it, whether you're making but like there are so many things in this world that people will say, well there's nothing funny. Like I heard a comedian say there's nothing like people the worst people are the people that say there's nothing funny about blank of course there is we and and i think that that's why we're so afraid to talk about things is because of this idea that there's a way that you should or shouldn't behave and in reality it's like you can you can find anything you want funny and in fact most people do it's like there's a lot of things that you take in on a day to day that are funny because of their ridiculousness or and I think it's also because I don't have an ego investment in certain things so I'm not obsessed with how I'm perceived in terms of how I react to a certain number of things and maybe I, I hope it's not perceived as a lack of sensitivity because I also try hard to be an empathic person somebody who I care a lot a lot about people and and it's one of those things though that it's like you have to look for the light too
0: yeah i was about to say that humor is subjective so for other people to to say oh like that's not funny it's not funny to you it's funny to me that's like the whole point like whereas maybe this person (laughs) would laugh at like a fucking muppet show you know that's (laughs) not funny that doesn't do it for someone you know some people find humor in dark humor like talking about maybe if world war Two or things <laughs> things center. in that way right like <laughs> you know and the reason it's um it may be uh i guess people react more to it because it's it's a crazy thing and it makes people have this conversation that's uncomfortable and it lightens the mood you know like you said you're not like trying to not empathize for people that you care about people i care about people but conversations for the most part don't take place because they're so, so sensitive and i feel like humor alleviates the mood in a lot of cases and when you really think about it when and i think it has a lot to do with like whether you're sensitive or not or how you were brought up but dude a lot of shit is funny that <laughs> people say shouldn't be funny you know
1: oh yeah i mean every like, like the other day i was watching forensic files and they would show like the photo of of their prime suspect and that's it's hilarious like oh yeah of course that's the guy even if he didn't do this he did something else that guy is guilty and it's like that doesn't mean that whatever happened in the show is not is not incredibly tragic you know and it's like that's the thing is that i don't think one negates the other like it does i just don't i just don't subscribe to that and I won't allow somebody to come in and tell me, well, you're minimizing blank, blank, blank. Because I know in my heart that I'm not and that I care about people. You know, I care about it's like in that case, it is tragic. And obviously there is a time and a place. There is 100 percent a time and a place like and I was thinking about. So my. uh My beloved Uncle Fred just passed away and my cousin sent us some photos of Uncle Fred and the photos had Snapchat filters. One of them said, (laughs) chow, what? (laughs) And these were gonna go up on a projector during his funeral, which will be like this this weekend, they're gonna go up on a projector. And I thought about that and I just burst out laughing, chow, what? That's gonna be on the projector because because it's funny because of the ridiculousness of it. It's not funny because my uncle died. It's that's not why it's funny. I mean, that's that's a contributing factor to what makes the joke work. But (laughs) dude, I didn't even think of that. Oh my god! But it's not funny because of that, and I'm not making light of his death. I'm sort of criticizing the lightness of that image in the con the serious context of his funeral that's what's funny about it so it's like things where it's like and i think i'm allowed to think that that would be a funny thing yeah and it doesn't it's it's okay you know it doesn't negate the fact that i personally feel very sad about my uncle's passing
0: yeah and it's difficult because um You know, when you do upset someone for something that you think is funny, it's really hard to explain to that person because they don't understand. And that's the thing that you you have different perspectives and it's subjective that you think that this is funny. Like, that's the whole point. And it's kind of messed up because it's almost like for the main part, like um, for the most part, society itself, like the mainstream society is policing this. And it's kind of sad, like, you know, because people should be free to think whatever they think is funny.
1: Yeah, I think that happened when we had this shift of, because you could say something that's funny and everyone gets a laugh. Like I'm sure everyone's been in a situation where somebody makes a joke about them and it gets a laugh, but it's something that they're insecure about and it hurts. Like nobody likes that feeling. And for me, I've always been like, well, at least someone got happiness out of that. At least someone got joy out of that, but it did hurt my feelings. And That's one of those things where if you're friends with somebody, you can go up to them and say, listen, I know you were just trying to be funny, but, but that hurt, you know, whatever. But now we've switched this, this thing now I'm offended is not a statement of my feelings. It's a demand for what you should do. And that's, that's something that it's, I think makes a lot of, a lot of strife and turmoil in society now is because because you're offended, I'm supposed to do something about it. Not that that's just your emotional state and that that's just your emotional well-being. And sometimes if I don't know you and I say something you don't like, I don't care. It's like, I'm, you're, you're gonna say something I don't like and I'm not going to force you to change who you are so that it's comfortable for me or everyone in the world. If we are trying to adjust for everyone's needs, Eventually, there's just nothing left. Like it, that, that's a shift that we made that I just feel really uncomfortable with. The way that I feel is now your problem in every way. When in reality, how I feel about something could be completely independent of what you said. I feel sensitive. Like we said, like I said earlier, I think the biggest problem with people and, and, in terms of their sensitivities is the reason why we judge and the reason why we place like that's offensive or certain labels on things is because we feel so incredibly compared to other people for example somebody else like us succeeds and we feel really vulnerable about it and so we cut people down oh you know well they they got money from their parents or whatever it's like or they this or they that because we just feel so incredibly compared to everybody around us and and that's why that's where that mentality that oh well you know i just don't have as much or all these things it's it's a way to make us feel more comfortable with who we are when in reality it's okay to be who you are it's okay for me to fail not because my, my family situation was confusing. It's okay for me to fail just because I failed. And that's something that there's so much pressure and people have so much anxiety that you're constantly looking for somewhere else to project that onto. And I think humor takes a hit too because it's like people are looking for somewhere to place their discomfort And their discomfort with themselves onto. And so you say, well, you shouldn't say that. It's like, no, that's not that's not that person saying it. It's that you're uncomfortable with something in yourself. And I'm not saying that you need to find everything funny, but just that it's something that we can reflect on personally. And, you know, like, in fact, I think it's more powerful if you just feel like, eh, that just wasn't a very good joke. Versus that's not funny because you shouldn't say stuff like that, you know, it's like it's it's you can you can take somebody's whatever somebody says and put it into the box of, yeah, that joke kind of sucked. And you're you taking back the power for yourself instead of saying you shouldn't say that. It's like, you know, you can feel however you want about the joke. Comedians say fucked up shit all the time.
0: That's hilarious hilarious shit, right? yeah
1: yeah that's that's what yeah that's what hilarity is hilarity is the idea of absurdity insanity that sort of thing it's like hilarious i think louis ck talked about this is so funny that you almost went insane like that's that's what hilarious means so it's like comedy requires discomfort and it requires some level of, I think comedy is a, is a, this release from repression. And I think that's what laughter is too. And so that's why I say like, that's why people say laughter is the best medicine. It's like, this is a release from this repressive nature of yourself, I think, personally, I would say.
0: Yeah, and the reason I find this so pre- uh, prevalent, reg- um, refraining from humor, the reason I brought that up is because now i find it as a college student difficult to even have uh discussions on certain topics where you should be having the most discussions because they're so relevant to our society today but it's so difficult because people feel very connected maybe to the issues and a little maybe sensitive for lack of better uh terms um and that discussion doesn't happen where it's really important for that discussion to happen um and a good example, I would say, um, I don't know, just even questioning things. A lot of people now, you're supposed to kind of obey certain things, and if you refrain from from that ideology and and you go against that, you're kind of seen as someone. I don't know, like a, you're fighting the system or you're you're a dumbass. Basically, they're all like, "Oh, you're dumb. You're listening to blah, blah blah," but not that's not necessarily it. You just you need more than than someone telling you. Um, to figure something out, right? Like where a discussion would take place and be like, oh, that's a good point. You're making good points. Like now I understand what you mean and meant by that. Does that make sense what I'm saying?
1: Completely. I think it's one of those things where it's really hard to relate to somebody who has no interest in having a conversation with you. And I think in order to really understand where people are coming from is to be able to relate to them. But when every time you have a conversation, you are so afraid to say what you think or what you thought. And the idea that someone's mind can be changed is almost, it almost doesn't exist anymore. The idea that you're set to being who you were at any given specific time. Like people bring up celebrity shit. Like people bring up, well, uh, when this person was 14, it's like, how malleable we are is probably I would say by a factor of 100 more malleable than people think we are maybe even more than that so the idea that you're not supposed to have a discourse because you might say the wrong thing is ridiculous and this is when I talk like when I said something about ego and being really invested in something. And that's why I think people have really difficult, for example, the most difficult conversations to have are around identity because identity is ego. Like identity is your attachment to something that you feel in some way makes you safe. And in some way, let's say my identity as blank provides validity to my existence. If I say my identity as as a woman provides validity to my existence as someone who makes $23 an hour, then if you threaten that, if if you say, well, you could do better, and it's not because you're a woman, I might feel like on some basic level, maybe that's true and but i really i really need this identity in order to feel comfortable with my circumstance or i really need and it's not to say that there aren't important factors 100% and like i would never ever claim that you don't face different challenges depending on who you are but i just think we're so much more complicated than that we're so much more Beyond that, and those sorts of generalizations and those things that people get really upset about, I think it's maybe because that sense of community or the feelings that you have about your identity, they make you feel safe. They make you feel better, and you, don't, you really, really don't want to be questioned, and, and, you, and you don't want to have a conversation because if you have a conversation, that might reveal something that you don't really want to know. And about yourself, about somebody else. And I think that's why like the assault on comedy and saying certain people shouldn't be allowed to say certain things or, you know, getting canceled or all this stuff. It's like it's 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 so centered around obsession with ego and obsession with oneself and that the idea that if I don't like something, then no one should do it ever. It's ridiculous. And and the moment that I see comedians being subject to this, that's when I start to feel really nervous. Because these are often people that are sort of the truth tellers and, you know, the people that expose the ridiculousness of society and of how we behave. It's like, again, when you see people behaving in a manufactured manner. It's like everything is sort of manufactured and we behave in a manufactured manner and you can tell that it's disingenuine and you have questions about that. And people are not going to reveal the interworkings of this carefully crafted identity that they have. So I would just say that it's – that's probably partly what makes it so complicated to have real conversations is because it is – there is an attachment and there is a sensitivity because there needs to be for some – interpersonal reason
0: yeah and but to ignore the fact that these hard conversations exist is kind of ridiculous especially in an academic setting where you should feel comfortable to express these ideas which i have found in some of my classes you just feel like you can't say anything because um, you'll be viewed as someone that's against the narrative which is not the case it's just like maybe playing devil's advocate or just bringing something new to 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 light right and that you're curious about the, the the curiosity. You're like, oh, but what about this? But instead of being received like, oh, like this is blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, what the heck? I can't believe you said that. That's that's very challenging to someone that wants to pursue um, their education and learn more and. And not out of hate. It's like, yeah, like, I want to know, but, like, tell me why. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, at this age and, again, in, in college, you're questioning everything. You want to know why. Like, you can't just be told this is this without reasoning. You have to go behind the the, the walls and be like, oh, shit, like, they did research on this. They had this discussion. Like, that... Is what came uh, out of their discussion this answer and you're like oh now this makes sense but if you don't you're not discussing anything nothing really makes sense because you're like oh this person's saying this this person saying that but they're not facilitating a discussion where they're um, um coming up with answers or you know
1: totally yeah and it's like because it's not hard to talk about like the things that we're that are not hard to talk about are the things that we don't that we don't identify with, that we don't form ego attachments with. If I say, what's your favorite brand of water bottle? You're not gonna say, you're not gonna say Arrowhead. And then I say, you fucking kidding me? Really? You're gonna say that while Dasani is like, it's not, that's ridiculous, that's right? That's a good point. So, And and we want to talk about these more these other sorts of topics in the same manner because it's the pursuit of truth, right? That's how you find truth: is you really have to take things from this. I will say again the observer perspective of, okay, well, what's the real truth about how this thing interacts with that thing? But the moment that somebody takes it to be. I'm sure you've heard this said because I've heard it said in college several times. Well, it's not just a conversation, it's my identity, it's who I am. It's vulnerable. It's vulnerable. 100%. But I think that's a huge problem is that why is something why why is something that you identify with and something that you experience so hard to talk about? Why is it that you can't open a discourse. And I think it's oftentimes because that identity is covering something else. That identity is because you're not just like, I am not just a woman who attends college and works at a restaurant. That's not who I am. And and if, if you were to pick apart and say, okay, well, tell me more. Why do you work at a restaurant? Then I might say, oh, well, I guess I, I like talking to people. But if I don't, if there's something underneath that that I'm uncomfortable with, You know, like, in some ways, I might not be comfortable with that form of questioning. You know what I mean? Like, it's because I just want you to know I work at a restaurant restaurant, and please just accept that. I don't want to talk about it. If there's something underneath that that I'm trying to be distanced from, perhaps. But that's that's just the theory. I don't know that everyone is hiding behind their identity. I just think I'd say it's probable.
0: Before we go into something that I find interesting, wait, that was that sounded really. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so
1: before we can, like move on from this yeah, stupid ass boring, no, shit that you're talking about. no,
0: I was gonna ask you what since you're the first female guest, and I guess sometimes people don't really talk about this because I don't know, maybe I don't, they don't think about it or whatever. But what has been your experience as a like female wom- woman living on? this earth basically like in society because i'm a guy like i don't i don't know what you experience right and i'm not saying like what you experience in society like oh they're they're like you're you're being like held down i mean like as a woman like you get periods you get like you yeah
1: know. to to 100 percent, yeah and it's um i am in i think i think the, that's something i really enjoy about being a woman is i think there's a culture uh, between women of support in a way. Like I have never, like, for example, getting a period, I've never had my period and asked somebody, hey, can I can I have a tampon? And had any response other than, oh, of course. Or I don't have one, but my friend does. It's like, there is a camaraderie about, about the, there's a camaraderie about the overall, like sense of there's a struggle in having even just the reproductive cycle of being a female human being and I mean there's also there's so many amazing and wonderful things that I enjoy about being a woman and I would say that there's also things that Have been societally influenced that are really hard. Like, I think there's a lot of, just as much as women lift each other up, there's also a lot of judgment between women. There's jealousy, again, comparisons and ways that we, that people knock each other down because when you're uncomfortable with yourself, especially, it's like that's why people talk about middle school is one of the biggest times where you experience. Bullying and people, because it's like nobody's comfortable with themselves. They don't know how to how to interact. And I think I I've felt over my life. I would say I'm very privileged to have felt pretty safe being a woman where I've lived. But it doesn't mean that I don't know. I, I that I'm not aware that. As a woman, I'm vulnerable in certain ways. I would say most prominently physically vulnerable. Um, like I ride my bike home every night from work, and um, I think about it sometimes. Is if somebody, if some person wanted to overpower me, they probably could. I am mean, 124 pounds. <laughs> like, like and and honestly, I would say like even. Even at my strongest, you know, my, when my triceps were the most defined, et cetera, I still, I couldn't beat somebody who's just bigger than me. Yeah, the you triceps know? are
0: insane. I could see them from over here. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah I, I
1: have been working on them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I see where a lot of women are coming from when they talk about the struggles that they've faced. Um, but I think that my experience as a woman has been overall a really positive one
0: interesting I I was also curious on it because I know for women that are on birth control how that affects them certain types of birth control correct
1: Mm -hmm. yeah well it's one of those things where like there is this idea and I would like to say just preface this with I I love men and I love women I love people overall and I've, there was a, a school that I went to in Portland where, where people would literally chant, kill all men and try and get me in. Well, just men are awful. Men are trash. I, I just won't do that unless it's for like co- comedy purposes. I'm just not going to do that. I, it's ridiculous. 50% of the population. Really? Okay. Anyway. Um, but I think people have women face a lot of struggles because of birth control and the history of birth control is one of the most liberating things for, for women of all time, like w- of all time, that the invention of the, of the tampon was revolutionary. I mean, think. imagine if in your life, like in, in older times, you were unable to work, do anything for, about a week or more of every month. I mean, that's what women experienced before there was, there was real advancements in reproductive technology and in menstrual technology.
0: Like I didn't even think about that, about the innovation of a tampon. That is so insane.
1: Yes, yes. There's actually a man, there was a man in India who was called the sanitary napkin king of India. And he would provide menstrual goods to women and it was revolutionary. Revolutionary. And in terms of the independence of women and the empowerment of women as a sex overall, those advancements have been absolutely incredible. But now it seems like birth control is something that a lot of times women associate with something, oh, I need to do this for men. And I think that that's a relationship that you can examine interpersonally, intrapersonally, and really decide, is am I doing this for a man? Or am I doing this because I want to have sex and not be pregnant? And is me not wanting to be pregnant also consequentially benefiting a man? Sure. You know, but it's like, people get these contemptuous relationships with things that really were honestly huge strides in technology. Now, plenty of birth control is terrible, but I see posts of people saying like, Oh, I was so depressed, and all this. We get depressed for you, for you men. It's like, if 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 that's if that's your relationship with it, that's okay, and I understand. But I think there's another way to look at it as well.
0: And for people that don't know, what are the side effects of some birth controls? Because there's the pill, there's the one that you get in your arm, there's the copper IUD, uh, there's the like women condoms.
1: Yeah, sure. So estrogen and, and progestin are the main hormones that you that you receive uh, when for, for most hormonal b- birth control um, certain methods of birth control administer a localized amount of those hormones so for example a nuVA ring which is inserted into the vagina uh, an IUD which is inserted into the cervix um, the next is a hormonal birth control that's inserted into the arm those all administer V- widely varying amounts of hormones. Some of them, it's just progesterone. Some of them, it's just estrogen. It's There's a complex array. However, what we know about neuroscience and about the brain is that you have huge differences in neural activity depending on what your hormonal levels are. They've been doing research at uh, UCSB about pregnant women and how their hormones will impact the activation in their brain the things that you're able to focus on your sexual drive the way that your body changes throughout your throughout your the course of a menstrual cycle which the menstrual cycle when people talk about it they generally are just talking about the week that you're bleeding but the menstrual cycle is the whole you know 27 days or however there's ovulation there's the menstrual cycle it's it's all it's your whole life as as a woman of reproductive age um and what birth control does is it throws a huge shift of hormones to a woman's cycle for some women it's really beneficial emotionally for some women it's super detrimental it really depends on what your neural chemistry is what birth control it is and how you respond to certain hormones like for some women birth control is the best thing that ever happened to them. And for some, they say, wow, I got off of birth control and I've never felt better in my life. So it's it's definitely something that is super personal. And it's, something, it's a personal decision that you have to consider. But it's no joke to to have huge fluctuations in your hormones like you would with any hormonal birth control.
0: And... As a woman, I would like to ask you about your opinion on the overturning Roe v. Wade.
1: It's really complicated for me, personally, because I am someone who, in the context of my my cultural upbringing, my social upbringing, I have always been around people who were um for abortion they were they and they call it women's reproductive rights i think that is a biased term um but i think abortion has allowed for a lot of female independence and i can't say i can't see where people are coming from on the other side of the issue i think if you truly believe that people are being killed in the process of an abortion i understand why you would feel strongly about preventing that um i think that the people that abortion impacts that the right that the, the, the availability of abortion impacts most are people who are impoverished um, you see most the most abortion abortions exist in those communities and so I think it's really difficult to also really come to terms with the idea that you could have you could be perpetuating the poverty cycle if you remove the ability for people to to have access to abortions. So it's incredibly complicated. But even if that's the case, even if you know, oh, my gosh, so many bad things could happen if people don't have access to abortions. If you believe that that abortions means killing babies, that doesn't matter, you know. That the death of a person is way more awful than the the possible economic risks of of um, removing access to abortions. So that being said, I think if I was in a position where I really needed one, I probably would get one, and and I can. And and so maybe I do want them to stick around. Maybe I do think that... I definitely think it's it's very personal choice. Um, but I haven't been in that situation before. And so I'd be curious to talk to people who actually have. It's also no small thing to have an abortion. And people aren't just out getting abortions left and right. And it's very, very emotionally taxing. Like we just talked about hormones and for god's sakes very very emotionally difficult for anybody who's going through that so i i wish i wish everyone the best of luck on on the entire issue but i i think it is a complicated one
0: definitely thank you for sharing um another fascinating aspect of who you are as a person is your culture i see you chefing it up a lot and you make some of the best food from scratch how do you think your culture has impacted you as a person and like as I've seen that like you're a freaking killer chef but how do you think as a whole it has impacted your life and you could say what your culture is.
1: yeah yeah sure sure so um m- m- i'm I'm not fully Italian but I my the culture that I grew up in was very italian american my my father is Italian American and um I think I think People, people get all like their fucking panties in a twist about Italian Americans versus real Italians, whatever. It's a subculture. Italian Americans is a subculture. Just like Mexican Americans are a subculture in America versus Mexicans in Mexico. It's, com- it's different. It's not like, wow, well, you know, I can't believe you guys do chips and salsa in the US. It's, it's ridiculous. It's like, it's a different culture. But so us, us in, in America, is different than us in Italy. So I'm not doing like, I'm not going to try and say like, oh, Italian pride, I'm the, the mother country, any of that. I was raised Italian American. I think a big part of that was, I, just going back to what we talked about, about sensitivity, is the way your Italian American family relates to you is by picking on you. Like as much as they can, just, you know, just every little thing, like, you know, they just fuck with you a little bit. And I think that it helped me to realize that humor and jokes and like love in that way is something love can be expressed in so many different ways. And I've related to people who come from cultures where their parents immigrated and just from other places where it's like, yeah, that's they they show you they love you by teasing you and picking on you and, you know, like, fuck you doing that type of thing. It's like that's how you know they're paying attention you know for me to tease you effectively i have to be paying attention to you and care about what you're doing you know it's like otherwise it's not funny like you know it's got to be a little funny so i think that's one of the things and then my father would always cook for me italian food i mean i probably have eaten pasta every day for the majority of my life like every single day and what I realize about cooking, for example, it's it's a passion of mine. That what I love about Italian cooking is it's very simple and it's about the ingredients. It's always about the ingredients. If you make a basil pesto from scratch, it's basil, garlic, parmesan, and olive oil. It, those are so simple, but it it really there's a beauty and a freshness that shines. And you that I think to me like that's what I was taught from my family is that it's about bringing forward what food has to offer you know like as the chef you're not just it's not about you you know it's it's like you can't have a a self-centered approach to cooking it has to be about the food about the ingredients about what you can make shine you know i think like like it's almost like being a little designer you know you're trying to you're just trying to bring certain things forward so i think that's also another asset of sort of Italian American culture is simplicity. You know, they they always like you always hear fucking, fucking like New York Italians. Oh well, it is what it is. You know, or well, that's just how the cookie crumbles. It's how it's how they just approach life in general. Is like, yeah, life life happens, all right. And I'm walking here. You know, and, and you know, like a couple. <laughs> There's a lot of variety though, there, and people like. I think also some negatives. Italians love to hold a fucking grudge, like 100%. My family's been in an argument. My extended family's been in an argument about God knows what for like fucking six, six, seven years. It's like, what the fuck are you guys even arguing about anymore? it's like big egos super can be kind of vain spend a spend a while doing your hair in the mirror i mean obviously my dad with the ponytail he just slicked that shit back but other than that i i would say that those are some aspects there's a lot of pride and there's a lot of guilt too like catholic guilt guilt about everything you know fucking racism you know there's there's every every culture has its baggage so and i i've often connected with like mexican-american friends about uh that sort of that sort of um feeling of like you know you're jokesters you 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 shoot the shit and you make fun of each other and it's love um and also like the catholic background et etc cetera, etc cetera.
0: yeah because you're right on the point where if you have half- Something or if if you're for something and you're raised in America or in a different country, you do get a lot of shit. So then you start to take things, you know, it becomes funny. So that's really interesting. And the reason I um I thought the culture aspect for you was really interesting is because you're dating an Indian man from India, or he he he, you know what I mean. He's like actually from India, but he (laughs) he speaks. Uh, english and all how's that how does that play into your culture and your relationship
1: yeah so um within my relationship he's he was he was born in america lived here for five years and then moved to to mumbai and it's funny because my f- my father, as I said earlier, like he's interested in Ayurvedic medicine. A lot of those practices came out of India. So my father has a relationship with India and they try and relate and it just like doesn't work because it's like people think, I mean, I think this just occurs with any other culture that's not yours that you make huge generalizations of what, what people are like in that culture. And like the city that that um, he's, the city that, that my boyfriend's from is a huge city and one of the main markers that we talk about a lot is like that they have a huge gap between let's say the lower class and I mean I don't know if it exactly even exists in this way I don't know that this is the right way to put it but that the that the wealth disparity is incredible and that's something that we take for granted a lot in America is that our wealth disparity is relatively small and it's like for example you can be homeless in America and be fat. That doesn't exist in a lot of places. You know, it's like so we've talked about how he lived in high rises in in Mumbai and the people there were people living in metal bungalows, you know, just down the street, type of thing. And um, but just it's been interesting because there are different cultures. Like I one time was like very surprised that he wanted to sit in the passenger seat of the car when there was a situation. It's like my, my father could have sat in the passenger seat and he wanted to sit in the passenger seat. And I was like, bro, what the fuck is wrong with you? The passenger seat is for like the elders, you know? And I realized that's, that's cultural. He's like, oh, well, my mom likes to sit in the back. It, she feels like it's almost like that's a respect thing of like, oh, it's like I don't know exactly what it is, but it's like maybe she feels like, oh, it's like a chauffeur, you know or some something where the back seat is the nice is the nice seat and the front seat is not so nice. And it's so it's like that's a really small detail, but you realize because I, I thought about him weirdly for a second there. I was like, wow, does he just like think that he deserves the passenger seat? It's like, it's ridiculous to even go about it like that. But that's, that's what those minor differences might entail. I think he associates really strongly with being from the Bay Area. He, he grew up there as well as I did. And so perhaps he makes an effort to, to be more in touch with that side of his, his culture. And he also went to American school in, uh, in India. So th- that definitely plays a role as well. Now, when it comes to dating an Indian guy, you would be surprised. People give me looks left and right. We, we get looks all the time. It's like, like, and, and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty like frequent and intense. And it's like, I didn't think, like, I, I didn't go out one day and said, I'm going to get me a nice Indian fella. Like, I didn't do that. It, we just liked each other right like how a relationship goes but it's funny that people sometimes people perceive us as like oh that's that's a white chick with an indian guy um and i think it's kind of funny like it's it's one of those things where it's like i'm curious what people think about that because even if you don't want to we have ideas about interracial relationships still Like, even if it's, oh, well, that's great. That's still a judgment, you know? It's not like, oh, that's just whatever, you know? But it's like, you have to sort of come to terms with that, especially because Americans view Indians in a very specific way, too. Like, think about the fucking Simpsons, you know? Like, a lot of Indians I know are not offended by Apu, but, like, it's certainly, he certainly influences people's perception, 100%.
0: You know they took a poo out of The Simpsons? I think I told you that last time. Maybe you didn't register, but...
1: No, no, they did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I, I do remember that. And also, I mean, I understand why they took a poo out of The Simpsons. After, like, 20-plus tw- years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't agree with it. I don't think you should censor shit like that. Like, if you want... Because I think people had an issue with, like, okay, this is also, like, a white actor doing an Indian voice. Get an Indian actor to do the voice. You know, it's like... Because... In a way, also like, like it, it's one of those things I've noticed too. Is like, especially with Indian men, how often do you see Indian men portrayed in a way that they're sexual, Ev- like in American media? It's like it's never. Like, think about if you think about Big Bang Theory. I mean, I think the most recent one was probably Kumail Nanjiani, who was in the uh, which movie was that that he was in? I didn't even fucking watch it. The
0: buff it. guy, buff Indian oh, guy. Oh right? yeah, he
1: used he, he was crazy. he's a comedian and he got super buff. I don't know if he was on gear or something, but he got super buff. He was he's so hot. But but seriously, it's like and that affects people's perceptions all around. And like, you know, my boyfriend's super fine, like so hot. And, you know, I think maybe that's why we get stares or whatever, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> And you met him at your previous college, right, in Oregon?
1: Yeah, when I went to school in Oregon, we actually met uh doing <laughs> He had a music video for his like multimedia class and um, I volunteered to be in it and I didn't know him at the time really and we we hit it off because he was listening to Bay Area music Actually at the music video. So there's there's a Bay Area culture uh, Connection moment for you
0: interesting and if you feel comfortable Would you like to talk about your experience at that college without naming that college or we can move on? No,
1: I'm, I'm totally fine. Yeah, um I'm trying to find a way to say that place fucking sucks without saying that place sucks. It is a ri- academically rigorous institution and it is probably one of the most hyper left places I've ever been. Um, and I don't put myself on a political spectrum. I, I don't care. I, I think the things that I think and I believe the things that I believe and the categories don't really matter to me, but it was, it was really like it's, it's it was a place that i would like to study like there was a culture there that's unlike any other experience that i have ever been a part of like people people were treated like it here's the thing it was it's very small it's a school that has maybe 1400 to 1600 people in it so people know everyone's business and everyone is treated like everyone is under a microscope and there was a, it was a place that I wouldn't, I i just wouldn't make certain jokes. I wouldn't say certain things, even if I thought, yeah, this is pretty mild actually. You always had to be concerned with what people thought your underlying motive and what they thought. You're not even what you actually believe, but what they think that you might possibly believe if you say something. And you can actually be completely socially ostracized for that. Like, you can be completely socially ostracized for that. This was a community that took anything people would say out of context and would put it on social media. And it was like, it's like this fake world people live in where how you feel is how everybody else has to feel. And, like, I had, I had friends there that ended up being completely isolated for literally, like, everyday things. And it sounds ridiculous, but it's a place where it's like, in, until you're there, you have no idea. Like, it's, it was surreal. It, it was a hyper-incredible bubble. Somebody got canceled because they... Part of their, I think their catalytic converter was stolen and they called the police and the police came to campus and they got canceled because they were like, there are people on campus who might not be comfortable with the police. They got canceled for that because they didn't want their catalytic converter stolen. It's like, it's absurd, dude.
0: What are your thoughts on cancel culture? <sighs>
1: I think it's some of the most immature... It's one of the most immature things that we have come up with as a society since, like, like calling women witches, you know? Like, I think it's one of the... That's a ridiculous comparison. <laughs> but I I hate it. There, It serves no purpose. It's punishment. It's punishment without ever fair trial.
0: And it's ridiculous because it's that thought that people can't make mistakes. And people... Are imperfect. Even the people making those judgments and canceling people, it's just ridiculous that people can't make mistakes. And that's what it is. Someone making a mistake, and if they repeat it, then I I, I get why they would you know be ostracized or looked down on. But if you make one mistake, you know, and that you want to learn from, people get fucking
1: canceled for that. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And it's like. I also am uncomfortable with the idea that you can, that there's a, like, I don't understand who exactly is doing the canceling. I, I It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, the issue is though, is that a lot of times we get false information. We get misconstrued information. So people jump on a ba- bandwagon, bandwagon, people jump on a bandwagon that they don't really even They're not really even concerned about that. They don't really like I legitimately think there are people that jump on those bandwagons that they don't don't even they don't really even care, but they want to be a part of something. And it's like a crusade against a person is like you're being a part of something, even if it means destroying someone else's life like really in reality and it's like who are who is anyone to make a judgment on somebody that they don't know you know like legitimately i mean and in there's certain cases in which we as a society deem it acceptable to cancel people if you murder somebody in cold blood we kind of cancel you we send you to prison we cancel you're canceled right but that's what we've all agreed upon in a legal setting in terms of the way that that we're canceling quote canceling people now there's no there's no due process there's no trial they don't have a chance to explain themselves they also don't they also don't have a chance to say hey i actually just don't care like i don't care if you don't like what i did
0: and sometimes it's for ridiculous shit like that example you gave of someone Mm -hmm. calling the police and people not feeling comfortable with the police and like how dare you that's a fucking ridiculous example you know
1: yeah it's like you need somebody to blame for your emotions and and what I would say, like studying neuroscience is um, probably you should go outside and and get some fresh air. Think about you. Think about yourself and who you'd like to be instead of being so focused about somebody else's actions. I mean, it's like legitimately because we have – it's already built – canceling has been built into our social systems forever, if you are irregular or abnormal you kind of make people feel uncomfortable it's like you will ne- i will you will never i will openly admit that if i encounter somebody on the street who's speaking to themselves who seems unstable i'm immediately incredibly uncomfortable around them because we have this social script that we all follow of how do you behave and when people don't follow that we get this little peek into what chaos would look like because we all have this agreement about how we behave, you know, general social agreement. And so when somebody strays away from that, we feel uncomfortable, even if it's not something that they can control. We, we feel people feel uncomfortable around folks with autism, even though you're not even though it's not right. You know, oh, I shouldn't feel uncomfortable around them. Those people get socially canceled. We have this built into our social system those people end up being ostracized socially because of how others feel about them. And that's completely out of their control. There's no need for us to manufacture another system of ostracizing people. If Somebody does something you don't like, don't be friends with them. We don't need to project that onto the big screen and convince everyone else not to be friends with them, that they don't even know them. That's We have systems in place already socially for that. I don't think we need to create it artificially.
0: Yeah. So your decision to leave that cause, was it based upon you feeling like you didn't belong there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was supposed to be the most tolerant place in the world. It was supposed to be a place where everyone was accepted. And yet I felt like I felt, I felt so incredibly anxious there. And as somebody who like the pandemic for me brought on a lot of anxiety, a lot of social anxiety, I really didn't feel comfortable living in a population that had so much emphasis on negativity. Like, I think that was for me the real main thing was that there was so much negativity and hate in a community that was supposed to be about love. And I just, I didn't feel happy there. Plus Portland, like the weather is terrible. And that was a big thing too, is it made me feel fucking depressed. So it it was a lot about my own mental and emotional relationship with both that time period and that place. And I think it all sort of came together to me deciding like I need to make a change and be somewhere else. So I chose the opposite. Like now I'm in Santa Barbara. So Portland versus Santa Barbara, Dude, coming here, like the day that I got here, I was like, fuck, this is so much better. (laughs) Like, wow.
0: So you've had a crazy life. Uh, Would you be willing to share some of your most impactful events and experiences that you would say are a part of the pillars who make you who you are from good to bad?
1: Oh, for sure. I'll tell a funny story. Okay, so I would say that one of the stories that sort of best exemplifies a powerful event in my life, I would say, is um, for my high school, I went to a private high school in Sonoma County. um, And my family wasn't poor by any means growing up, but the school was $43,000 a year, like in We didn't have that type of dough. But uh, I was going through a really hard time in my life, I would say, in middle school. um, And I mean, because it's middle school, but in eighth grade. And um, I was just getting into some weird shit. Uh, I I was friends with the wrong people. People were selling drugs, doing drugs, you know, hanging out with (laughs) some unsavory types. You know, um, being surrounded by those sorts of individuals, and um, I remember my mom told me one day, "Hey, I want you to come tour this school that's in Santa Rosa for high school." And I kind of just felt like, "Why would I do that? Why would I? What? Lo- why would I go look at everything that I could have, but I don't?" You know, and and she basically was was like well let's just look you know why she was talking to her boss about it and her boss had had great things to say and whatever and i i ultimately said no i don't want to i really don't want to and i think i just didn't i really didn't feel like setting myself up for disappointment so just over and over again i would tell her no i don't want to go like and the day comes where the open house was when the open house was supposed to be, and I after school that day, I decided I was going to go hang out with um, a friend and he drove this terribly shitty vehicle, like it was a uh, Black Honda Civic with a red door on it. <laughs> It was a black Civic with a red door one red door. yeah, yeah, the car smelled like backwoods, urine and and marijuana, and maybe just the slight dusting of cocaine and amphetamine salts and i I hung I, 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 I was like, okay, after school I'm gonna meet up with my homie. And we're going to, I'm going to go on like a fucking ride along or whatever the fuck I was doing. I don't know if I was like touring, training to be a drug dealer. I don't know what it was, but I end up in this car. Like, like there was like the fog of like the backwood smoke and the weed and the air. And I was like slightly stoned. I was like, oh yeah, like this is definitely what I want to do after school now. And my mom calls me and I'm just like, Click, fuck that. Who cares? You know, whatever. And then my mom calls me again. I'm like, oh my God. Step off, bitch. And then I see my dad calls me I was like, oh fuck. I I was I was like, whoa, what, what is this? And so I pick up and my dad's like, listen, Bougie. I he calls me Bougie. I'm like, listen, Bougie, I really want you to go do, go do this open house with your mom. Please. And I'm like, no, well, dad, I'm already, I'm already on the bus home. I can't. He's like, he's like, she'll pick you up. Go do the, get off on the next stop. Go do the open house. And I'm like, dad. And he, he, he was not asking. He was telling me, yeah, you're, you're going to go do this. And so, I have to fucking high speed hightail it from whatever fucking viewpoint we were at to get to the fucking bus stop downtown and downtown and my where my mom is supposed to meet me but theoretically I'm on the bus already So she's waiting at this bus stop. So I decide, okay, here's what we got to do because I'm stoned too. I'm like, okay, pull up one block before and I will run and she will hopefully not see that there's not a bus (laughs) at all and it's just me just pedestrianing it to her vehicle. And eventually we get there, I run, I'm out of breath. I, like I didn't inc- I didn't factor in that it would be obvious that I was clearly not on a bus and I'm running and I smell like backwoods urine and marijuana, and I get into the car and she just says nothing, and we just drove away and I ended up going from <laughs> the fucking on civic marijuana machine to this private high school in wine country in california and (laughs) i remember going from class to class and thinking wow this this place is amazing and also being a little resentful of like the privileged ass kids that get to go there you know like how lucky are they this is a high school campus this is amazing there was this teacher there that was so hot. Later on, my best friend—I would find out it the teacher is her dad. Um, but I, <laughs> I—that's That's a story for another time. But I remember like feeling like this is awesome, but like also like I still wish I hadn't have done this because. I just feel worse about my whole situation. I had also previously in that year, um, I wanted to go to Oakland School for the Arts and they had, and I passed the audition phase and then they do a lottery system to be equitable and I didn't get through and I felt like my fucking life was over and I would have to go to the same high school with the people I went to middle school with and live, go down the same path I was already going down and it was okay and and but it made me feel so fucking depressed. And a couple days after the open house tour, my mom says, "Yeah, the the owner of the company of the company that she works for wants to pay for you to go to the private high school in Sonoma County." <laughs> and um that was one of those moments where like I just felt like that <laughs> I, I had something to look forward to all of a sudden. And I'm not gonna say, oh, I turned my life around. Like I was still like I was smoking weed and then going to like the eighth grade steel Pans concert. But <laughs> I um I felt like there was somebody that was looking out for me and somebody I didn't even know and that was just amazing and then honestly I mean like like in reality my entire family changed their life to move up so that I could so we could live close to my school and those years that I had in high school with the people that I spent them with were amazing and like, like truly, and maybe that's just in comparison. I mean, there were still awkward moments. It's high school, right? But like in comparison to some of the the things I had been doing before that, it was amazing. So I think that encompasses that. That was one of the biggest moments of my life. And <laughs> I'm happy that I stepped through the black door of the red Honda Civic into a different reality, I would say.
0: <laughs> yeah, cuz I feel like don't we all want to step out of the Honda Civic with the red door into <laughs> another life?
1: <laughs> I would say that that's probably like main that's probably priority number 1 unless you are the person in ownership of the Honda Civic with the red door and then that's your absolute baby. Like that is the I don't the the car like was absolutely non-functional like forget a registration i don't think it had plates like this was a this was a vehicle that maybe what i was 90 percent sure had been stolen maybe it had no transmission even who knows who knows like what it had been through why did it smell like urine i don't know maybe someone was pissing in there you know it's one of those things where it's something it's a period of my life that i would never take back Because I got to exist in a life that wasn't what ended up being my privileged ass life, my privileged life of going to this amazing high school and being able to meet wonderful people and have the opportunities that I had and apply to difficult schools and go through this experience and like, but... I think everyone should maybe once in their life be in a Honda Civic with a red door.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I want to ask you about your experimenting with uh, drugs, if you feel comfortable talking about it. Because I know, let's say the weed, right? I'm assuming you've done shrooms and you have mentioned you have tried Adderall before. So if you'd like to break down how these have made you feel, what you took out of them, whether or not they're beneficial to you et cetera.
1: for sure so i think with weed <laughs> i i like one of my key memories about weed was doing dab rigs in seventh grade in the <laughs> in the parking lot of my middle school and then going inside i was i was supposed to be supporting a friend at a steel pans concert what is that Steel pans is like you know you know under the the song under the sea and how it starts. I think so. It's it's a steel pan is like a drum with with like a with dents in it. Oh yeah, like a Jama-, Jamaican. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. The authors taught yeah, me that. Exactly. And they have like a concert and you basically you know play little notes. Okay, that makes and then sense. Then there's like different yes, tones right. or whatever. <laughs> and I was so I was so high that I could not. Like physically, to me, there was like a barrier at the door and the doors were open actually. And I could not physically enter that space. And I knew, I was like, everyone is looking at me and everyone knows how fucking high I am. They were all watching their kids play steel pants. They were not paying attention to me. They started to pay attention to me though. The moment I did cross the barrier into the concert. And I just stood there like shaking, (laughs) like watching them play steel pants, thinking like, oh, my arm is weird right now. And like, I think my my sinuses are giving it away and I must look so high. I certainly did. And it was also so utterly overwhelming. Somebody looked at me and did ask me, hey, are you okay? And the moment that that happened, it took me, I think, what felt like at least 45 seconds to answer the question. It was like one of those experiences. And I walked outside of the Steel Pants concert and I threw up several times, which was then seen and I got this reputation for being like a like a drug addict. When in reality, like, sure, I did some dabs in the seventh grade, but...
0: <laughs> dabs hit so much different than flour. You know, yeah. dabs are a fucking... It's yeah. like a whole nother drug.
1: Oh, 100%. And I was just like, I... I did not really enjoy weed. I I at that point, I couldn't really tolerate it. Nowadays, like I enjoy it, but I'm still sensitive. Like I've always been a lightweight. Always 100% been a lightweight. But I would say yeah, weed is intense. Um that experience and I've had many others like it. There was a time I was in a grocery store and there was like produce bins and I walked around one of the bins and I was, I was very high and I was actually with my aunt and I, I ran into a little person and like physically ran into a little person and knocked the little person. I knocked him off his, his, his feet. Um, He fell over all the way over. And um, yeah, he did topple and I, instead of reacting like, Oh, I'm I'm sorry, and you know, extending a hand to him. I determined, and this was also an eighth grade. I determined I would get onto my knees to be closer to his level, and say, and, and then proceed to apologize to him. So, and not only not only that, but I was really high, so I was laughing while I was doing it. I was like, I am so, so sorry. His gro- his groceries fell out of the basket. Like this was like, this was like, and my aunt was had seen it and entered another aisle because she couldn't hold it together because of the way I handled the situation. And that gave me so much anxiety of like, I cannot believe, I mean, I couldn't believe that that happened. And I also couldn't believe that I would have, had that encounter and that I could not actually sober up for a second to say like how do I handle this in a way that's not incredibly like offensive but no 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 I laughed and said thank you while being on my knees like I could have just helped him get his groceries I mean I don't know what do you what do you do in that situation I could have just helped him get his groceries and then just said I you know, I, I apologize and walked away In fact, like I wasn't that much taller than him. So I'm getting on my knees and it wasn't, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. So I don't think I handle weed all that well. I think I think I handle it better than I do. And then I, you never know when you're going to run into a little person inside of the grocery store, physically run into them. So, you know, I tested my limits in terms of marijuana, but yeah, I've experimented with, with other drugs. I would say, um, Psilocybin is probably my favorite, Um, magic mushrooms, shrooms, whatever, whatever you want to call them, Um, just because it's been, I took it, I took the approach to having an introspective experience with drugs rather than like an escapism experience, and I think psilocybin helped facilitate that for me, Um, and yeah, I mean, I've done, I've done plenty of other things, probably all the hallucinogens. I mean, not all of them. There's still a couple left. Um, and I currently take Adderall to manage my attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So, you know, le- legally legally um, allowed to take Adderall. It makes me feel weird and my throat feel weird. Um, but overall, it helps me be a better uh, student, I would say. Maybe not always, though. Yeah, it's complicated. Like again, as I've as I've said, it's like those the drugs really do help you to modulate your symptoms a little bit. But there are things that I don't like about it. Just like with anything, there's always you always have a side effect.
0: Yeah, I was about to ask, what are the side effects to taking Adderall on a consistent basis?
1: For me, it's that I you you get. The, the ability to focus and to tune in and the thoughts that are kind of like, the thoughts that are constantly swimming around and you know, bothering me in any given moment, they they quiet themselves a lot, which is really helpful. But then the thing is, is that sometimes you also can't, the Adderall doesn't tell you what are the right things to focus on. So sometimes you you, you set out for the day hoping, yeah, I'm gonna get this done and that done and the other thing. And the, the Adderall decide, you, 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 you're, you're Adderall, your relationship with your Adderall and the world decides, no, it's time to, to uh, deep clean the baseboards in my apartment. You know, like it's, it's sort of selective. So I would say that, 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 could, that could be a downside because you could hyper-focus on something completely different than what you thought you were focused on. Another thing I would say is that I don't know that I want to constantly succumb to like the demands for constant productivity that we have in our culture but in terms of like the overall side effects you also can have like loss of appetite which i often have a lot of people will lose weight on adderall um which is why also a lot of people abuse adderall too weight loss you have it helps you build dopamine because one of the main issues for people with attention deficit disorder you say like why don't it would just feel so good to get it done it doesn't feel good for me to get things done like The the reward is not really great enough. It feels better for me to do like small dopaminergic things throughout my day. Like, you know, oh, but I'd rather do like the karaoke to like um, Jar of Hearts by Christina Perry right now. You know, it's like, it's ridiculous those things that distract you. But it's like, because we don't, because we don't deem those things important, they're thought to be distractions. But maybe in a society where... There's a broader idea of what is important. Th- that would be a great condition to have. I, it's it's complicated.
0: And how have you dealt with your ADHD? And how do you think people see you? And how do you think it affects you in your everyday life?
1: I would say for me, honestly, the biggest thing is emotionally. Um, because... The f- people with attention deficit, and obviously not all of us, I'll speak from my personal experience. I have a really low frustration tolerance, and I can get overwhelmed, stressed, and discouraged very, very easily. So, and I'm someone who also is prone to fucking up a lot. And so, like, I forget, I'll set everything up to remember something, and I still forget it the next day. And I had this happen to me recently where I left my my calculator and my my uh, chemistry book at home and I ended up getting to class and I didn't have it. And for anybody, that's stressful. But for me, it was not just stressful, but then also I was like, this is a reflection on why I can't do shit. Like this is, this is like me not being able to function as a human being. Like I fundamentally suck as a human. So it's like, I think it's not just, those sorts of drawbacks but it's also the guilt that comes along with them and like having the feelings that like i wish i could do what other people do and maybe things would go more smoothly like moments where i know that i've been held back by my forgetfulness or sometimes honestly i think people don't take me very seriously in sometimes in an, in an academic sense or in just like an overall sense Because they think, oh, she's scatterbrained or she's, you know, she's forgetful or she's ditzy or even where it's like people who know me know that that I really have passion about things that I want to learn and things that I don't have passion about. I don't learn, (laughs) but it's one of those things where I think for me emotionally, that's been like that has definitely been the biggest taxing thing is like feeling like i'm just not good at adult life specifically adult life fucking taxes like jesus christ i can't even i can't even keep like like i can't even keep my daily schedule that i do every day in my head like how the fuck am i going to find my w2 form or whatever you know it's like but it's also one of those things that i'm i'm just me you know and i don't have any sort of attachment to saying well i i mess up all the time because i have adhd i mess up cuz i mess up and like it's okay and i'm still where i am rego- like barring all of that so i'm i'm proud of i'm proud of that and i'm proud of what i'm able to accomplish and sometimes i wonder hey what what do you think i'd be able to do if i didn't if i didn't deal with this but for the most part it's like It's just who I am. You know, I've gotten pretty used to it.
0: Yeah. And you say you're passionate in what you do in regards to your studies. Um, And earlier you were mentioning neuropsychology. What are some of the most interesting aspects of neuropsychology and neuroscience that you have been able to um, learn in your college experience?
1: I would say maybe the ones that are most interesting to me are the ones we know uh, very little about. Like, for example, if you've ever heard about um, the, the the neuroscience behind consciousness, what does it mean to be conscious? What information do we perceive? How do we sort information? Because we, we, we do not... When people say like, oh, I sort of select to hear things or not hear things, you we are not really in control of that. And that's the it goes back to what i said about there's this study where they had they had participants press a button whenever they wanted to, right? Like and they also had a way to track when the participant made the decision that they were going to press the button. Cuz usually it was about like they they decide to press the button and then they press the button, right? So and, and there's a very small window in between when they decide and when they press. They're just supposed to press it right when they think of it. Okay, press. And it's completely random. They, they can press it whenever they want. The science and the, the results showed that the brain had already activated the regions in decision making eight seconds before the person thought they had decided something. So it gets into this idea, do we have free will? What is consciousness? Do we are we our thoughts or are our thoughts us? And what does that mean? Like, do you make a decision? Who are you? Like what what does it mean to be you? And it sounds philosophical and it is, but it's also scientific and i think that's one of the most fascinating aspects of neuroscience and we're still so far away from understanding what consciousness actually is what is perceiving information like why is it that when i'm talking to you and someone else is having a conversation over there i could have no idea what they're talking about and i can i cannot make out the words that they're saying but if they say my name i i can i catch that it's like why is it that something very familiar in that way is activated for me and then maybe I'm tuning into that conversation and I'm you're still talking but I'm I'm not listening to you. I'm not actually pre- we can't perceive two things at once. We can perceive the tone, volume and volume of a conversation that we're not partaking in, but it's very difficult for us to perceive the context or the or the information. So it's just interesting like how do we exist in the world? Uh, through that and I would say well, that's one of the things and then the other one is what we mentioned earlier about what we were talking about earlier about rewire. when people say like, people like to say uh, rewiring the brain and making connections um, between And and trying to forge connections where it's beneficial like for somebody with PTSD
0: so what do you think challenges you moving forward in this career because what you're doing You want to, is it, you want to do the research behind finding alternatives or do you want to be someone that facilitates this new form of alternative?
1: I think both. I think what, what I will inevitably do is I will have, I will do some research, um, when I pursue, when I'm pursuing my, my doctorate, I want to have a PhD in uh, psychology or in neuroscience and I will inevitably do some research, um, um, in terms of brain sciences but i think what i actually i don't want to just be a researcher i do want to work in the application uh, eventually in terms of my career pursuit i think it will be to to work in the application of the of these processes if we get to that stage that's that's the other thing is maybe i'll continue to do research so that we can move to the application uh, cuz there's a lot there's a lot of red tape you got across
0: Yeah, and of course, with alternatives, there comes pushback, correct? Because alternative medicine is always seen as maybe inferior to modern medicine, right? Whereas uh, it has been shown and proven that alternative medicines actually help with less side effects.
1: (laughs) Yes, 100%. And we don't need to get into the nitty gritty, but in reality... pharmaceutical companies will benefit from your conditions it's just the reality there's no conspiracy it's just the reality and you will face not only public opinion pushback because the public opinion is influenced by companies and by also just sort of traditional medicine approaches you know you go to your doctor and people trust their doctor even if the doctor's doing things that are maybe a little out of date or maybe not very holistic. It's like you, they might say, "Oh, you're depressed. Okay, well, here's meds." It's like, "Okay, well, well, let's let's step back and say, okay, well, let's what are you eating? You know, how what's what's your diet like? What's your exercise like? How often do you have social interaction? Whatever. Because you can feel depressed and not have major depressive disorder and your doctor, especially like your doctor versus like your Psychotherapist, or your psychologist, or your psychiatrist—in the case that you're getting medication—is not really trained as a psychologist. They will prescribe you medication, even though they have not take walked you through another route, for example. But people trust people trust their doctor, and that's great. And and there's, I'm I no no shade at any Western medicine practitioner. We have really advanced science in Western medicine. Um. But this is science too. This is not like this is not just people going rogue and doing mushrooms and and just giggling, which I'm I'm not saying that's not therapeutic, but it's not that's not what it is. And but that's the category that you that people will put something in. If people don't want you to believe something, they'll put it in the category of well, that's crazy. That's just a bunch of that's just a bunch of un unsubstantiated bullshit hopefully people have gotten to the point where they have the some sort of connection with research and that they can understand that you can you you can feel free to review all the research all that you'd like and not be influenced by other people but of course if the goal is to switch between a root cause approach to mental conditions versus um a symptom that like a symptom solution approach, then the people who profit off of a symptom reducing approach are going to try to um, push back against a root problem approach. Like, for example, benzodiazepines are addictive with long-term consequences. And we have proven this time and time again. They are incredibly detrimental to your body and to your brain. You develop insane dependencies upon benzodiazepines. So like for people that don't know, that's something like Xanax or uh, Valium, right? Um, Still, they're marketed still. I mean, people in more progressive areas, like psychotherapists, psychiatrists, doctors will not like if they if they got their if they have their right mind about them and if they're exposed to the to the relevant body of research they will not prescribe benzodiazepines to anyone, but we still are sending out multiple prescriptions for Xanax time and time again. I mean we don't need any more information to really know that that pharmaceutical drug companies are they're not there to look out for your best interest. It's it's a profit game and. That's fine, you know that's how a lot of things get done is through people being able to profit, but drugs like that should really stop being offered they should stop they should they should stop production on it. It's that bad. it's really, 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 really bad and there are better solutions too so not only is it really, really bad, but there are better solutions so it's it's something where there's going to be pushback because even though we've 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 found relevant medical research and huge amounts of it that this is really detrimental and still it's still being prescribed out there. So if you have somebody co- that comes in with something that's with some some info about psilocybin or mdma and its effect on ptsd of course they're going to sort of ridicule it and say well what's this? you know some hippy dippy bullshit about magic mushrooms could treat your depression. It's like, yeah, that's not what it is. It's that's that's not it it is a legitimate body of research right now that still needs work, but I definitely think that there's going to be a lot of pushback from companies and then companies influence the public and public opinion, but I think people have become a lot more open as time has has gone on to those types of approaches, especially young people.
0: Yeah, because if you think about it, it has been so normalized in our society as The commercials, the rate of the commercials that are played regarding um, prescription drugs, I could probably name you more prescription drugs than I can name presidents of the United States. Like, there's Zolov, there's freaking (laughs) Paxlovid, there's uh, Skyrizi. Like, how do I know these names? I have no issues with whatever... is in my body but yet i fucking know the names of these fucking drugs dude (laughs) and that's just those prescription ones there's like xanax and all these other ones that as well like it's crazy the amount that we know about this and how um the access we have the exposure we have to them and that's totally normal for that reason you were saying there's an incentive because it's all about money
1: right no totally i mean and uh, people from other countries make fun of us for that all the time like what the fuck they advertise prescription medication and they advertise it to your doctor too you like like you like a pharmaceutical rep is a really high paying position and being a doctor is a really high paying like position for more reasons than just being a doctor it you you there's influence from outside it's like how we lobby our our uh, political candidates we lobby our doctors too you know it's like you you can as a doctor make commission off of prescribing a certain product and i i am not surprised people have distrust in the medical system despite how amazing the technologies that we do have are i i'm not surprised that this distrust has been fostered it makes total and utter sense to me but yeah overall I hope to that by the time I finish my education this is something that we can put into practice on everyday people not as a part of clinical research I hope that's that's my hope and and I also hope that we can do it in a way that's really really safe because I'm, I'm not just a believer that anything that's not the main stream or the norm is a better alternative we have to you have to do the relevant testing that's why i like science so you you gotta gotta back it with science
0: and as someone that questions a lot of things what would you say is one of the biggest things that you're just like not sure of today
1: Mm, i always joke like when people ask me this i'm always like oh moon landing but i I joke about it I do not think that we faked the moon landing, but I do think we faked that video. <laughs> I think that video is baloney. What the fuck? The flag waving in the back in with zero I gravity.
0: Seen that video. In zero. Is it gravity. really?
1: Yeah, is? it's waving in. The, okay, it's like there's no gravity and there's no like wind. What? How is it waving? So I wasn't totally buying that. However, I'm not like a full-on...
0: Flat earther.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, I was actually just talking about my Indian boyfriend... Talking to my Indian boyfriend about He's this. Indian? He's Indian? From India. From India. Um, I was just talking to him about this. <laughs> and I was like, I don't hate flat earthers. People like hate them. Like, and he was like, yeah, like I hate them. They piss me off. I can't believe there's people that's fucking stupid out there. And I was like, listen... I just think that's funny, you know? Like that's such a hilarious thing to be passionate about.
0: I know it it's funny because it doesn't take anything away from you. It's just like kind of an entertainment thing. Even though they might take it seriously to you it's like dude that's so crazy. Whether you whether it's like super intense to you or not. Like I mean I mean in the way that like oh that oh you think that that's insane.
1: Yeah, and his his statement was like, "Well, these people like vote." <laughs> and thought that was funny well no like that was his follow-up to basically what i i I said what you said i'm like who cares you know it's like well people like that are out there i'm like people like a lot of things are out there and that's the funny thing is it's like i would want to i would want to talk i would want to talk to that person and be like yo like so so tell me and i probably follow along i play along yeah 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 for sure oh my gosh yeah so it just ends yeah for sure you know like i would play along with that but it's also like I also think it's funny to have so much conviction in science as somebody who's interested in science and passionate about science. To have so much conviction in science is also ridiculous. We don't know. Like, we do not. The reality of the situation is I can tell you this is what happens when this neuron fires and blah, 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 blah. Our technology right now is not specific enough for me to be sure about that that's the theory. I mean, that's why they call every, that's why there's the theory of gravity. It's like, yeah, we're pretty solid on this, (laughs) you know, but like, like there's something that pulls us to the earth and holds us here so we're not floating off into nothingness. But like, I think it's reasonable to even question things that seem so blatantly obvious because it's like, as we've spoken about in the past, it wasn't that long ago that the best scientists in the world thought the Earth was flat.
0: You know, it's like, and even nowadays, I don't know if you've heard of uh, what is it? "Ancient Apocalypse" by uh, Graham Hancock. Is that his name?
1: No, I haven't heard of that
0: man. Well, I, I'm not sure if that's his name, <clears throat> but basically, he's he's uncovered um, n- like new new things, right? He's a, I, I believe he's an archaeologist and a lot of people are kind of discrediting him, even though I think some of his findings are, are true. But I think they're discrediting him because his new um, uh, research is discrediting the previous research. So people are like, no, that didn't happen, which he talks <laughs> about like ancient apocalypse that like, let's say meteors or maybe something wiped out certain things people and like um they had to re mm. do everything basically and yeah, people are like no like that's not what happened because then their mm. stuff is being discredited
1: right well and that's what like that is what science is is trying to figure out what's the next best theory what's the next best theory what's the next best theory that does not mean that it's right that's why like bro if i ever have to hear neil degrasse tyson talk ever again i'll fucking blow my brains out <laughs> <laughs> like, this guy, it's just like one of those things that it's like that I find a really, really, really passionate and angry atheist just as annoying as a really, 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 really passionate religious person. It's like your, conv- your total and complete conviction is almost as baseless as their total and complete belief. You you have this conviction of nothing it's like dude that's okay, you know, but it's like to me the like I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Like I wouldn't classify myself like that because honestly that's also how people discredit somebody who has questions and is like, "Hey, what if it's this way instead?" Now, granted, I do think some of them are kind of ridiculous but not because i think those people are ridiculous i just think that that certain people i i feel i'm like oh man you're going you're destroying your own happiness to 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 try to pursue truth and and people don't people i think that you should you should have your stance on things because it's what you want not because it's what you need everybody else to believe. And I think in in a perfect world, we would respect that people believe certain things. And it's like, you know, I I don't know. I think that people can be pretty pejorative and rude towards people who have questions. Like I've I've never really I've never fully subscribed to a conspiracy theory because i don't really fully subscribe to much of anything
0: yeah isn't that the point like it's just kind of making you think it's they're not for the most part for most of them they're not meant to actually be taken seriously it's like oh like damn that's kind of um like a coincidence that that's the thing you know
1: right right no totally and I, i think yeah there's there's such a wide there's such a broad range i think that it's it's kind of going back to like at the beginning of our conversation about being attached to things. Is It's like you can get attached to, well, these are the facts. And that becomes your identity. Mm-hmm. Right. And even it's like you see these videos of like Ben Shapiro destroys woke liberal. It's like, oh my God. It's like it's so painful to watch for everyone in the video. It's like. Because it's so important to you to prove this person wrong and it's so important to this person for them to be right. And it's like, maybe it's just me, but I don't always feel that it's all that important to be stuck about anything. Which is why I think things like we talked about, like the cancel culture and stuff like that, bother me because it condemns people to being one thing forever, and I don't really, I, I just can't, I can't really reason with that, you know, like science says that's not true, you know, and experience says that's not true. Both of, both of the guests that you've had on this podcast confirmed that that's not true. You're not just one thing forever. It's like, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous concept. So I think that's... <laughs> That's why conspiracy theories and ways that we play with what the truth is, is fun. We should play with what the truth is. And there was, there was, a, there was a quote from, I, I think it was an old poet, and he said, in order to think, you must risk being offensive. And I just think it's true. I think we have to also risk being stupid and ignorant and we unsure. Fail. Yeah. A
0: lot of people are afraid to fail, but only in failure for the most part is where you learn because having failures happen and mistakes, you immediately, you know that you did something wrong. And what do you do when something's wrong? You correct it. Totally.
1: And, And it's like you've if you put the effort in to correcting it, you forge a stronger base for yourself. And that's why we want to be stronger, right?
0: Yeah, and you mentioned religion earlier. Oh, what did? What is your take on religion?
1: Oh, yeah. And are you religious? I would say I'm. I would say <laughs> you you might be able to guess that, but I'm agnostic, which just I guess means I don't know. Um, however, I was I was raised. My my father took a lot of influence from the Siddha Yoga tradition, which is a uh, Hinduism Buddhism you know, tantric religion. And um, I was sort of raised in that and also in non-denominational Christianity, you know, in in a very typical American sense. Like I went to church with my mom sometimes, but it was like an all faith church. But we talked about the Bible. I don't know how that totally works. We talked about the New Testament. I don't know how that totally works, but they did have snacks afterwards. Worth Worth it. Yeah. They had like a lemon cookie so anyway, that's probably my take is I, I mean, if I do enough psilocybin, I might see God. So we'll see. <laughs> Some
0: ayahuasca.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's one of the ones. Yeah. I, I mean, was going
0: to ask you earlier. Okay. I'm going to touch on this real quick and then, and then I'll go into, cause I had another interesting topic <laughs> for you. So DMT, ayahuasca and other medicine like that, is that something you would be willing to experiment with?
1: Oh, and yes. And I will. I I really do think like I think I I haven't had the access and I also I want to say like from, in terms of people that do this just recreationally whatever you should always be in a place where you could comfortably be in another place I would say like I I don't know I mean unless and unless you have someone with you so you I think you need to either have somebody with you or have a way to to go to a safe area. For example, like some people choose to go trip on a hike or whatever, but if you're able to be able to go and be in your car, sit in your car, that's a good way to go about it. Also, if you're experiencing intense intrusive thoughts, obsessive thoughts, I think anxiety is fine. You can have anxieties and and enjoy a trip. Extreme depressive thoughts, it's something you should definitely think a lot about that's what the science has shown is that it can be detrimental if you are in a really really intense state and if you don't in in a recreational setting so i will say that
0: is there anything if you even feel comfortable about talking talking about the subject what would you say that you fear most whether it be a freaking animal whether it be being left by someone Things in that nature. Is there anything that you're afraid of going through?
1: Yeah. I mean, when it comes to animals, I would say it's the angler fish, um, which is that gross, you know, the gross fucking fish with the light. Yeah,
0: I was about to say. I was uh, like, is it the one with the light?
1: Bro, that and with the teeth, that's really scary. But on a more serious note, <laughs> on a more serious note, it's probably... I have a deep-seated fear emotionally that, that the, okay, this is, it's going to sound kind of fucked up, but I promise you if there's even, if there's even two people listening to this, one of them is going to be like, yo, me too, that the more people get to know me, like the closer they get to me, they'll realize that I'm actually not, not very good and that they shouldn't like me at all. You know, like like that is a fear 100%. Like don't let people get too close cuz the closer that they get to you and the more that they really know you, if they if they it's like this idea of if they really were to know who I am, they wouldn't like me. And it's it's kind of fucked. You know, it's like there's there's another part of my brain that says hey, that's ridiculous. You know. Does but,
0: that affect the level of closeness that you're able to get to someone?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it also it's what makes me feel socially anxious sometimes and that's something i'm still like grappling with um
0: do you think that's a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you think that people aren't going to like you if they know you too well and then you start to uh put up barriers and then they're not really getting to know the person you are do you think then that becomes what you're afraid of
1: dude yeah you're you're and and 100 percent, you're on the money i think that it's like because I don't want people to get too close to me, I kind of act differently because out of that, just anxiety having this like stress around social situations. I hope they like me, which feels like so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I hope they like me. And, but I also, there's a part of me that says, well, if you're just yourself, then if they like you, that's great. And if they don't like you, that's fine. You guys don't have to be friends. And my brain just fucking doesn't, always let me be myself and at the same time dude like it's one of those things where like i think getting close to people i mean like if i'm gonna be real i think i haven't been i haven't had a close friend that i've made like in in the way that i want to in a really long time and I think I desire that closeness with people, but I'm, I'm bad at the beginning stage. Like if somebody asks me to hang out, I'm like, no, I don't want to. That's, I don't, I just won't want to go home. Cause I get so much stress out of that social interaction. Also, I did not used to be that way at all. Like I was like the most extroverted social person. What do you ever. think happened? It happened. I mean, things changed for me, like around COVID for sure and and i just became i had a lot of more insecurities and you know sort of self-hate thoughts where it's like i'm not being funny enough you know i always sort of wanted to be funny which it's not something you can just will into existence (laughs) like
0: dude you're pretty funny dude you're probably one of the funniest people that i know and i think that what we said earlier about going really far into things that maybe shouldn't be funny is what makes people funny <laughs> yeah, yeah. i think your your willingness to to exceed those bounds is is hilarious
1: <laughs> thank you man i i really appreciate it and i think that side definitely comes out of me when i get closer with somebody like i would say that you and like the people that you're around i'm really close with it. like I've just passed that initial stage, but it takes a really, honestly, a lot for me to pass that initial stage. And I think the reason I was able to with you and the people that you're around is just the circumstance of how I met you guys. And like that it was an easy transition, but it's also something that I don't always experience. And people often perceive that I'm extremely extroverted. They're like, oh my gosh, you can make friends with anyone. I'm like, yeah, but they're not really friends with me. You know, and, and that, but that's just, like, a little voice, a little scared voice. And it's funny because, like, I know that a lot of those things aren't true. And yet, I still have to work hard to prove that to myself. And, like, if I think, oh, maybe that person didn't enjoy every single second that that we spent together, then I'll also avoid talking to them. Because I'm like, they don't want to talk to me. They don't. Wanna. It's, like, it's so complicated. And that's partly why I want to get into... To understanding brains and understanding, like how do we just, how do you get into that situation? How do you end up feeling like that? So, that is a fear that I have, and fear is translated to anxiety. And then the anxi- thats a funny thing too—is like anxiety prevents you from acting like as you normally would. So it's like, oh my god, they can tell that I'm anxious right now, and it's probably making them anxious or they they're uncomfortable because I'm uncomfortable or whatever. And then it's like, oh my god, it's so exhausting. And then if you, when you have one of those experiences, and then you you might try and like hermit yourself for a while. You're like, "Fuck, I don't I don't want to go through that again," you know? And then the next time you you are with somebody, you you're like out of social practice, too. So I don't know. Maybe Maybe that's—I would definitely say that that's the biggest fear for me as of of this point in my life.
0: Yeah, I would never think that because the way you talk about things and the way you carry yourself is with nothing but confidence, which is interesting because a lot of people don't necessarily— Give off the vibes that they're feeling, you know, what like again. If someone is afraid of losing someone, if someone's insecure about something and the way they carry themselves, you would never know that
1: totally. Yeah, and it's like a, it's like a little voice, it's like a little whisper,
0: little yeah. mouse voice. Yeah, you fucking suck,
1: <laughs> you know, but and and I think that I combat that also with more. I try to be like, okay, I'm just gonna get bigger because I'm going to try and be more confident. I'm going to try and be bigger. Otherwise, like I become the little mouse, you know, especially if I'm in a chemistry chemistry lab, I've noticed that, um, in those sorts of situations, I, I become, it's like, you know, and when you feel socially anxious, like other people are the judgers of you and that they're just, they're assessing you. And in a chemistry lab, when you have a stupid fucking lab partner, you realize, you know, other people suck too. Um, I'm sorry that that was a
0: passive aggressive. You know,
1: no, I think it I think that came from a different place of me being really angry at my chemistry lab partner. Jason? Jason, if, if you're fucking listening to this, I hope you never ever come into chemistry lab again. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise I <laughs> I will put you in a black honda civic with a red door and close you in there forever
0: well thank you guys for joining this episode um if you made it all the way through and yeah thank you thanks so much guys